In this lecture, I deal with religion and culture as they exist in Japan and the kind of problematic that exists in defining religion in the Japanese context, not as unique to Japan, but as an example of the way in which religion is often defined wrongly, I think, in a Western context. This is a sample of an approach that we'll be using in the upcoming class in January. And so hope you will check out PBI and the upcoming class on religion and culture. Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I've entitled this The Problem of Religion, not that religion is a problem, but sorting out how we distinguish exactly what religion is and how it fits in to culture. In Japan, it is illustrative of the problem that there are at least two religions and three or more, if you count Christianity and other religions, so that you get odd statistics that 70% of Japanese are Shinto, and 76% of Japanese are Buddhist. That's too high a percentage for, you've got over 100% of uh, religiosity here. 61% of Japanese have a Butsudan in their home, and some 60% have a Kamidana. Again, two religions, same home so that clearly Japanese are practitioners of more than one religion, and it, these religions don't necessarily uh, fit together. When I first came to Japan and was ignorant of the way that this functioned, I was surprised that when I asked how many would like to follow Jesus also, nearly everyone uh, agreed they would like to do that also, in addition, of course, what they meant to being Shinto and Buddhist. So the saying is that Japanese are born Shinto and they die Buddhist. And at this stage in uh, history, they often have a Christian wedding with very little understanding of what that might entail or what that means. And there's even the phenomena of many Japanese having Christian funerals now. The issue in all of this is what exactly is religion in relationship to Japan? And of course, in answering this question, uh, we're also answering the larger question of what is religion in general? Part of the problem is that we often define religion with a kind of Christian orientation, and particularly uh, a modernist notion or a reformed notion of what Christianity is. And in this understanding, what we would often mean by religion is a faith system. That is, it's something that one consciously believes. But most religions, in fact, are not faith systems in that sense, in that the religion does not require the same sort of belief or faith, uh, but require practice. Now, in fact, this may seem to stand over and against a typical Christian understanding, but let me suggest that the Reformed focused on, on faith and the whole issue in the New Testament between the role of faith and works. 
That becomes a, a kind of strange controversy. I think because of the strange circumstance of Luther and Calvin in their imagining that faith is something that one can have apart from a specific set of practices. Now, that only gets it a little bit in that even if you would visit a Shinto shrine and ask a person in the midst of prayer and a Japanese person, if they're religious, they would very often say, oh, no, I'm not religious. But, of course, their practice uh, in some way belies their lack of religiosity. I don't think Japan is unusual in this, but a particular brand of Christianity and a particular understanding of religion have come into conflict. Maybe Uchimura Kanzo, the Japanese Christian who struggled with, well, what does it mean to be a Christian in Japan? And he posed the dilemma. He said, you know, who do I love more? Do I love Japan more or do I love Jesus more, as if these things were pitted over and against one another. And of course, his own experience in America, in which he began to picture Christianity as a tied to American nationalism or Western notions of the nation state, and actually very pagan notions that had seeped into Christianity in a kind of Constantinian form of Christianity in which nation and religion and church are all fused. This created the dilemma that Uchimura Kanzo then struggles with his whole life. He does, in fact, refuse to bow to the emperor, but he also then refuses Western notions of church. And so his Mukyokai, his non-church movement, is a kind of attempt to, to get around this, I think, issue. Uh, an issue that really is a confusion on the part of Western missionaries and Western Christianity that gets imported into Japan. Shusaku Endo, the novelist who was raised Catholic, or at least his mother was a Catholic, I think betrays the same sort of confusion that in his novel Silence, depicting the era of the Tokugawa period in which there was heavy persecution of Christians, he has one of his main characters describe Japan as a mud swamp in which Christianity cannot take root. But of course, the problem with Endo's depiction is that it's precisely because Christianity indeed was taking root in Japan. C.H. Boxer says that Japan was one of the most rapidly Christianizing countries in the world in the 16th century. And yet today, it is one of the most resistant cultures in the world to Christianity. That's what Endo would say is that it's because of the peculiar nature or of being Japanese, the peculiarity of the religion and the, of the Japanese people themselves and the islands that Japan is resistant. But what Endo seems to be doing is mo reading a modern sensibility about what Japan is this modern sensibility is actually a very Western understanding of the nation state. So that just as, you know, if you would ask an American to identify themselves, uh, even if they were a Christian, they might begin with their national identity. 
And so I'd say the same thing about Japan, that modern Japan indeed has an identity on the order of the West in this sense that being Japanese has become an identity unto itself, constituting something on the order of a religious identity. This is not an accident. This is the purpose of the Meiji uh, leaders, the Meiji elites, who developed then an ethos, an identity, that in fact was created to resist uh, modern encroachments of the West, of Christianity. Prior to this, it had been simple to keep Christianity out. You just don't allow any foreigners in, or you keep them isolated from the population, and you don't allow Japanese to leave Japan. It wasn't an effort in the Tokugawa period to control people's thinking. So that while we could say that Japan was resistant to Christianity because they would kill you if you became a Christian. That's a very different sort of resistance that, than what Shusako Endo is describing in silence. And that resistance then that comes about in the modern period that identifies the culture itself that being Japanese in some way contains a resistant element within it. So I think the problem is with our definition of religion or of religions. We assume that Christian faith or belief is somehow the model for religion. Practice, I would say, and not belief, which is obviously not a completely legitimate distinction, is actually usually the central requirement for religion. This is like you know, the story that Slavoj Zizek often tells about Heisenberg, who uh, has a visitor come into his home and says, Dr. Heisenberg, I, I see that you have a horseshoe, a lucky horseshoe on your wall. I'm surprised that a man of your great learning would believe in something as superstitious as a lucky horseshoe. He laughs and says, oh my, no, I don't believe in that silly superstition. But what I understand is that it actually works even if you don't believe in it. I think that's the, the way that religion very often works for people. The religion at some level works for them, and there is an investment of belief in the religion in that they will, in fact, do the practices. What the level of belief is, though, and how the belief functions, of course, is very different that in Christianity there is a conscious acknowledgement that faith and practice and uh, one's worldview is part of the religion, or at least that should be part of our understanding. But I think that we've missed the fact that this is a unique element in Christianity. Practice, then, in Buddhism is the main thing. Buddhism is really just a set of practices. In a sense, Shintoism is also a set of practices. This is one of the arguments of the Meiji government, that Shinto is too simple uh, without doctrines. Now, whether this is correct or not uh, can be argued, but at least that's what the propagandists are saying, is that one can practice Shinto and be a Christian, and that's the argument that is leveraged against the Christian population. What these religions then entail is something that is at once more all-embracing and yet distinctly different from a Christian understanding. 
that the religion then is in fact part of an overall culture. And this is the way, you know, if you asked if the Romans believed in Roman religion, well, at some level they practiced the religion because they had to practice the religion. And this was part of the reason that Christianity would be persecuted, that to say Jesus is Lord is in some way a challenge to the idea that the the emperor is Lord. Well, the precise same problem is going to develop in Japan. To say Jesus is Lord will come to be seen as a politically and culturally sedition. And so the problem is with the subjectivizing and dualism of faith, that is, faith as a mental act in much of Christianity, is over and against faith that is part of a cultural inheritance, part of a system of works. And by works here, of course, we have all kinds of bells go off because when Paul uses the language, that, or James uses the language, both will, will talk in this way, that we're saved by faith, not by works, and yet James will say that a religion that is devoid of works is dead. And of course, the point is that actually what's taking place in the New Testament is as much a cultural shift as anything else, that one does not culturally need to be a Jew in order to be a Christian. But in fact, one can be Jewish and be a Christian. It's simply that the requirement is not that one be ethnically identified as Jewish. The Jewish situation is very similar to uh, what we might say is the conflict. That what people are being called to in Christianity is not necessarily a repudiation of their culture, but the sense that their culture is in some way absolute or salvific. We might look at the faith of Christianity as completing every culture. So faith itself has become a kind of ambiguous term, which in Christianity it is very specific, it's very historically oriented, that the faith of Abraham depicts a very particular sort of orientation that will entail a departure from the culture of Babel, the religion of Babel, the idolatrous religion, and it will entail then a different orientation to death. That is that in Babel, they imagined that they could storm the heavens, that they could make a name for themselves, that there was life inherent to their culture. This, I think, is typical of religion. That is, if you wanted to ask what the most ancient religion is, uh, it must be something like the religion that you encounter in ancestor worship in Japan. Many think that the religion of ancient Egypt or even the religion going back as far as Babel entailed some form of ancestor worship. So the faith of Abraham is not going to be faith in family, faith in culture, faith in the forefathers. That's part of the departure. I think if the faith of Christ, then, the faith of Jesus, is typified by the faith of Abraham, this is part of it, that we're no longer investing ourselves in a singular culture as if it is salvific. It's not that there's a rejection of culture per se. Culture, you know, what the problem with that word, too, is, well, what is that? That can be something very simple, like 
the language, the way you drink tea or whatever. But culture then, as a cultus, as a religious sensibility, is undone. But in Christianity, there is the sense that we are, that the, the, the faith is a kind of embodied, enculturated faith, but not in the sense that it will entail doing away with a particular language or a particular set of social practices, unless those social practices in some way come in conflict with the understanding that Christ is Lord. You know, one of the questions, what is the relationship between Christianity and culture? Does Christianity constitute itself as a culture? Well, in a sense, it is the fulfillment of a Jewish cultural understanding. It is a kingdom. This is the way that it is a city. It is a, all of the, the things. The word culture doesn't exactly exist in the New Testament period, but it's the same idea that, yes, Christianity is embodied. It's enculturated. But there is also the sense, then, that it is a understanding that does not entail that one leave or abandon or do away with one linguistic system or tribal identity. That is, that the, the, the word culture itself or the word kingdom itself is going to take on a universal aspect that usually when we think of culture, we think of a pluralistic, you know, many cultures, many tribes. And so the relationship between and the church and the culture which surrounds it is one that needs to be carefully negotiated. It's not a simplistic acceptance or a simplistic rejection that when people become Christians, of course, they bring cultural elements into their faith, that they're obviously going to use their language. They're going to, uh, it's going to entail some of their customs. It's going to be an extension of the identity of who they already are. It may, in fact, though, entail an abandonment of some practices that seem to be inherent to the culture. I think that things like ancestor worship, idolatrous religion, those are maybe identified as inherent to the culture, but I would say that that's a misunderstanding, that the culture is in some way reified or made an essence in these practices that would in some way make of the culture a religion. Now, part of the issue that takes place in Japan with the, you know, the rejection of Christianity, and we have to understand that the history of Christianity is not all warm and fuzzy here, that in the 16th century, you have Christianity embraced by some 300,000 Japanese out of a population of around 20 million. And so, as Boxer says, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to find another highly civilized pagan country where Christianity has made such a mark, not merely in numbers, but in influence. And I think it's true even in the period in which Christianity is rejected. There are still then Christian elements that uh, will be found throughout the culture. With the San Felipe incident, a Spanish ship, was driven ashore in Shikoku, and Hideyoshi Toyotomi, the shogun at the time, sends communication to the pilot major of the ship, who is trying to convince the Japanese not to confiscate the ship, and 
he shows them on a map the power of Spain. And Nagamori asked if Christian missionaries had prepared the way to obtain these possessions. And the affirmative answer of the pilot was at once communicated to Hideyoshi. And this sort of confirmed what he was already thinking, that his suspicions of the ultimate aims of the Christian missionaries was kind of to loosen them up in order to take over politically. That understanding would not be mistaken. In the, you know, so that the closing of Japan then is a closing to the encroachment of military and political forces that may in fact be using Christianity as a kind of political ploy or at least a means of entering the country in an economic and political manner. You know, have Christian missionaries prepared the way to obtain these possessions? Well, yeah, in many instances they had. Now, you can't paint with a broad brush here and just say this is always the case, that missionaries have played many different roles. But, of course, the issue is, well, what is the proper role for missionaries in regard to culture? It's not to, in some way, overtake the culture. It's not to undo the culture. It is, in fact, then to find all that's good in the culture and see that then in some way fulfilled and emphasized and made complete in Christ, in the church. That is, that a culture is not no, you know, in, in any human culture, any human innovation or creation is not enough. It is not adequate for us to find identity. It's not enough that we say, well, I'm an American. That that is, in fact, inadequate. I'm a cowboy, or I'm from Texas, or I'm Japanese. And so how do we negotiate the relationship between the host culture and the sending culture? It's a, it's a question that we have to be sensitive to. I don't believe that Japan was a mud swamp, and if by mud swamp we mean that there is something genetically or inherently the case in Japan that makes it resistant to Christianity, I think that's a misunderstanding. That's a, in itself a kind of reifying of Japanese-ness. Certainly the enforced isolation was necessitated not because to by Japan's being a mud swamp, but because there was a too willing openness on the part of the population to accept Christianity. And the way that it was resolved was to slaughter the Christians and to strictly enforce isolation. And that then was the means of eradicating what appeared to be a movement set to take over the country. And so the re reaction to the perceived threat of the West in that period became the defining reality for the ruling elites of Japan and the culture as a whole. But this is far from what is going to take place in the Meiji Restoration, which in fact will have to create an ideology, a religion, that is resistant. That is, it's one thing to be physically resistant, but the 1860s you know, mark the end of Japan's physical isolation and the beginning of attempts to depend on religion, on politics, on ideology to ward off the foreign others, the, specifically the Americans. Admiral Perry then opened the floodgates of Western influence. And so during the first four years of Meiji, there is the creation of a ritual order. That is, the Meiji Restoration is the 
restoration of the emperor as the center of the government, as the center of an ideology, of a religion. There is the separation of Buddhism and Shintoism. These two religions had always had a kind of uneasy relationship. And so this is formalized. The role of each is formalized. And there is the promulgation of a national doctrine. They send out evangelists that go north and south to, in fact, make sure that the Shinto Buddhist religion that people are practicing is going to fit into the unifying understanding that is being created by the Meiji elites. And so the whole point of this, I think, the thread unifying these initiatives was the imagined threat of Christian conversion and what was meant by Christian conversion in Japanese understanding was not simply that a new religion would enter in, but a foreign ideology that would mark the opening for a foreign domination. And so the fear of the reintroduction of Christianity indicates that the fragmented nature of the Japanese archipelago was already a problem. That is, that Japan had only recently been united, and united in many senses. That is, there really wasn't a unified religion. There really wasn't a unified language. There really wasn't an identity that one can say, well, these people are Japanese. That was not an identity enough. And so the pursuit of a ritual order and national doctrine distinct from Buddhism during the post-restoration period aimed to integrate this fragmented population, create a unified identity, and in doing so to prevent Christian conversions. And so the nation-state is born in Japan with the Meiji rulers, their demand to for a spiritual and mental uh, compliance, which is part of national objectives, things that people practice. There's actually a cultural shift, a cultural change in Meiji. The common people could no longer simply be the objects of rule, you know, manipulated physically, but they had to see themselves as subjects and the emperor then as the identity around which they are coming to understand themselves. Freudian psychoanalysis is introduced and this, the way this gets stated by Freudian psychologists, Japanese psychologists, is to say the emperor is the superego and the people are the ego floating around or centered around the superego. And together then they constitute a singular person, a singular identity. And so the identity is no longer centered in the clan, in the local folk religion. It's the same thing that happens with the advent of Christianity in the Roman Empire. There really was no religion that would stand up to or could resist the inroads made by Christianity. It was, in some way, the local religions, which they were not formally unified in the Roman Empire. But in Japan, they're going to formally unify which in what those things that are, in fact, tribal. They're local. They're folk religions. All of this in order to bring about a cohesive nationalism or identity through the state. And so this would have to be centered in the national polity and religion. In this sense, the move from Tokugawa to Meiji was more invasive. It was more mentally coercive. Meiji had to create willing subjects. So is religion a discrete sphere of activity? 
set apart from state and culture? It cannot be. And that is, I think, what we're seeing in, in the Meiji period, that in some way these things are going to mingle, interact. And in fact, they may be a challenge to one another. So there began a concerted effort to bring the common people in the line, the formation of state Shinto. The masses had to give up mixed bathing, gambling, excessive leisure, public nudity, no more urinating in public, which seems to have failed as a national policy. And even daytime napping became part of the forbidden practices in the effort then to forge a more enlightened national entity. Because Christian conversion posed a threat precisely because religious identities and practices were inseparable from political loyalties. The idea of conversion allows us to shine a light on the ineradicable moment of contingency that underlies all imaginations of boundaries, communities, and identities. That is, that it is going to pose a threat in every instance to these various boundaries. I'll stop there then with this brief introduction to religion and culture as it exists. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.